Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 123 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, I am back once again with Barnaby Holmes. If you, you would have to be a longtime listener at this point if you organically caught the first episode of Epis, Barnaby. Episode 10. Episode 10. 113 wow. episodes. Because you came in, you're like, oh, this, this is a sweet setup. I was like, yeah, I mean, had it for a couple of years now. And you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last time we recorded was your bedroom. Yep. We were, we were recording and there were like empty crisp packets, chip packets on the floor and some crusty boxer shorts. It was great. Yeah, I live in squalor. It was, uh, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, cleaning my place is always on my list of things to do, but it's never the top priority. So that's why I live like I do. But uh, it, it was that's why I ended up upgrading the system was like I had you and then a couple more guests. And like we met through business, yep. uh, but we've been, become friends since then. But then I had someone that I was like, I only knew them through business. And we were like in my apartment, yeah. in my like office, which is really just a den. And I was like, I'm going to keep doing this and inviting people that I don't know. Well, I got, I got to upgrade this, but today's topic is going to be a fun one. I think you're fresh back from Boston having just judged the barista championship. I have. So yeah. I, I'm really excited to kind of dig into your experience. This is kind of a long anticipated competition mm -hmm. because it's like the first one in what, like three, two, three, well, 2020, we actually got one undone in 2020 because it was February, 2020 that the uh, U.S. barista championships took place in Orange County. But then we didn't finish the competition season because it was in March 2020 that the world started burning. Um, yeah, so we got, yeah, we got barista and brewers cup done, um, and Jeff, who was going to be in cup tasters that year, didn't get to finish because that was supposed to take place like two or three months later. Yes, Jeff is still in limbo, and he was yeah. uh, the, the the championships have been cool enough about it. That's like, hey, if you obviously if you qualified back, then you go straight to nationals. Mm -hmm. Then of course they released the date, and Jeff was like. I've had a trip to Croatia planned for like well over a year and he went over there and, but they were cool enough to say, yeah. Hey, you know, we're going to keep your eligibility for nationals the next round. One of the things that they've been saying the whole competition is we just need a lot. Everyone, everyone's got a certain level of leeway at the moment. There's yeah. got to be a lot of understanding competitors, judges, everything like that. It's been a wild time and yeah. it, was a, it was a wild competition for different reasons this time around. But it was all due to what's happened over the last couple of years. So yeah. it's cool that the Jeff gets to compete again. So follow Jeff. We'll be back in cup tasters. We won't, be talking much about cup tasters today. It will come no. up because I, I do like the comparisons between the different mm -hmm. competitions, but yeah. we're going to have a heavy focus on the barista championship. Uh, it, it's something we've discussed in the past. Yeah. On the first episode, we discussed at length because you, you were already judging at that point. Yeah. And there's different elements of each competition, and the winner of this year really has created a buzz in terms of the conversation around the championship the different elements that go into it, whether it be, we'll get more into it later. I'll just say it, it's caused a bit of a controversy mm -hmm. uh, and no one will ever, uh, no one will ever accuse coffee people in the specialty coffee community of not being passionate. Uh, passion's <laughs> a good word. There's a lot of opinions and I, I, I like, I like those opinions. Lively and passionate, I think <laughs> is the way I'm going to phrase it to start off this episode. So I don't immediately get, have everyone turn the episode off because, Hey, <laughs> You're talking about me this way. But first, let's recap kind of your experience. Obviously not your first time judging. No. But the first time in two years that a competition has been yep. held, what changes did you see? What kind of competition? Uh, how many did you judge? And what was your whole experience like going into this year? Sure. Um, I was a little nervous, like more nervous than I remember being in the past. I think just because of that break um, that we'd had two years, typically in typical seasons you have 
preliminaries and then qualifiers and then you go into the final three rounds in finals so you kind of as a judge you get to warm up through the season as well I mean you're judging as hard as you can from the first stage of preliminaries all the way through but you kind of you get to warm up to the final rounds um, in preliminaries we simply have milk drinks and espresso in qualifiers you have espresso and signature beverage and it's only in the final round that the competitor gets to do all three so again as judges we're kind of like warming up our sensory senses calibrating throughout the season this time we didn't have preliminaries we didn't have qualifiers we just went straight into it into the finals um, there were only 22 competitors this time overall and um, to put that into context the two qualifying rounds ahead of the 2025 finals i believe there were 32 competitors at each of those qualifying rounds so we had 64 competitors to bring down to 32 into finals and then you have day one two and three of those finals so it goes down from 32 to 12 or you know it breaks down that way this time it was just 22 right from the offset we still had the three days of competition but we just had those uh 22 competitors as a result of that the judging pool was smaller and they picked out judges who had that prior experience um I've been judging actually for three seasons. This is my third season, if we count this as a season, although it was the only single competition. Uh, but it was my eighth competition that I've judged in. So I've got a fair bit of experience now, I suppose, although nothing compared to some of my judges who have been fellow judges who've been judging for a lot longer and have a lot more knowledge. Um, some of the most obvious differences was just some of the protocol that we kind of have to go through now. Um, in years gone by or in competitions gone by, the role of the head judge, and um, that's the person that you see standing behind us. If you see the photos of the sensory judges sitting down, there's a person standing behind us with a clipboard. Um, that's the head judge. They're basically just writing down everything that the competitor's saying so that if we as sensory judges miss anything, the head judge can kind of uh, help us out backstage and say, like, just clarify if we mishear something along the lines of that. But in years gone by, the head judge would also taste all of the drinks so we are required as sensory judges to take two sips a minimum of two sips um, of each drink that we're served unless the competitor tells us otherwise um, but the head judge in years gone by would take one sip of every judge's drink um, that helps them clarify backstage let's say you and i have an espresso shot that is split between a, a double porter filter so we've had the same espresso shot um let's say we score it mildly wildly different you scored a five i scored a two that can't be because we've had the same espresso shot and the head judge having had a sip of each of those would be able to clarify that they'll be able to say yep you had the same shot so we need to have a conversation here and talk about experiences to see if we can kind of get a little more calibrated um nowadays because of covid much like cupping has changed our technique for cupping has changed um the head judge can no longer drink everybody's drinks the head judge just kind of watches us drink um, is more of a, like a, a bystander in some regard. Um, in the other regard, though, it just means they have to listen far more to our experiences. So that's what we are there to assess, is to our assess our experience of each drink, not whether we think it's good or bad per se, not whether we like it. Definitely, that's got nothing to do with it. It's just a, we need to document our experience, and the head judge now has to do that not by using their sensory experience, but just by using their past experience to see what do our comments sound like with regards to a score. Did that come up at all that you had wild differences between the same shot? And how was that kind of handled without the ability to, of the head judge to be able to kind of step in? And that's where I think the the head or the, the competition competitions committee and the head judging panel made a really good uh, call in terms of the judges that were on board this time around. I don't actually know how many judges applied um, or were asked to judge, um, but every judge that I judge with, I've judged with before, and I know that we all have a good amount of experience. Um, so 
it doesn't it's it's one of those things that you kind of scratch your head because you you think we're going to be wildly different because all of our sensory experiences seem to be so different we have different um experiences that we can call on but actually when we get backstage i'm never looking at my judges score sheets on stage but we are required to fill in all of the scores on stage and you get backstage you are mostly 80 90 percent calibrated with the other judges within half a point on pretty much every score going down that sheet there may be one or two where we're a little further apart where we need to talk about experiences and quite often when we just talk about our experience we'll describe the same experience so then it just comes down to a head judge calibrating that experience within the rules because that experience we're talking will fall somewhere within the rules um, and then the score will be fairly easy to recognize or at least get close to the overall competition this year, did you see any new major themes pop out? Because the interesting thing about two years having gone by is trends in specialty coffee change pretty quickly, mm-hmm. especially with the signature drinks, like obviously espresso and the milk drinks, the type of coffee is going to change or the preferences for that. But even with, within signature beverages, you kind of have this range of competitors going from like, I want to do something really crazy and different that maybe the time limit's going to be a factor, but I want to do something Mm -hmm. wild that's going to stick out versus staying more classic and trying to execute something simple to a high level. Were there any themes you saw notice uh, you noticed between the different coffees that were used and with like the signature drinks? Um, Yes, definitely. Something that you, I need to profess this with is that the competitors only had two months to really prepare this year so the way I I mentioned that we didn't have preliminaries or qualifiers that it was just the 22 competitors going straight into the final round Um, and to make it as fair as they could um, this was drawn by a lottery system a weighted lottery so names were essentially pulled out of a hat although there was a weighting system in play I can't speak to what that weighting system was although it is available to find out if you go on the US competition, uh, coffee competitions website they'll, they'll show how that was done um, but what that meant was all of the competitors only had two months to prepare three months out no one knew whether they were going to be competing or not so as a result of that I think it streamlined their preparation so I definitely noticed simplification in the signature beverages specifically um and if i step outside of my judging uh head for a while and just speak as just someone who enjoys watching coffee competitions um i'm a fan of that i think it speaks more to the beverage as opposed to these crazy techniques um crazy cool techniques look crazy and they're cool and we love to see them in terms of scoring on the score sheet they, there's very little scoring that goes to that there's one section on the score sheet we have the score sheets here in front of us and um, there's one sketch section of this score sheet for creativity creativity and synergy with coffee and so creativity isn't even the whole point there right like that's just one small part of it so these wild contraptions that people used to bring onto stage you're just trying to do these cool things as cool as they are they're not going to earn them a whole section of points on there so we definitely saw that the simplification there's a lot of just shaken drinks over ice um, maybe some aerated drinks a couple of foams things like that things that aren't particularly wild now maybe 15 years ago would have blown our minds but nowadays we're fairly comfortable with that and so we weren't really assessing the creativity of the methods. What we're looking for is the creativity of the flavor or experience created by that method. So you could have a foam, like a foam, we've all had a foam, but what if that foam had a flavor added to it that changed the whole complexity of the drink, right? The whole flavor of the drink. We would maybe would re- reward the creativity of its effect. Not so much, we're not really caring about the creativity that goes into it. Um, in terms of coffees used, there are still a number of geshes. I mean, geshes are geshes and they taste great um and they have a lot of 
easy calls, right? They, we are assessing competition. We are assessing competitors' flavor calls. They are communicating to us our experience that we're going to have with that drink, as a barista should be able to, um, and then we will make an assessment of the drink based upon their calls. We're not assessing what we can taste per se. What we're saying is, you tell me it's going to taste of Maya lemon. It's going to taste of seventy percent dark chocolate, and it's going to have some honey or simple syrup. I'm going to make an assessment on my experience as to whether it's had those things or not. And Gesher coffee typically has some fairly um, standout flavor notes of, of all the coffees. Naturals of any kind have some fairly obvious standout flavor notes. It can be easier to to assess. Um, so we definitely saw some Geshers. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about it a little bit more. There was a Eugenoides on, on display as well. Um to get a little more into that, do you want to talk a little bit about Eugenoides? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no expert on this. Um, I'd never heard of I've never even heard of them before kind of getting into the research for this episode. Yeah. Have you tried Eugenoides? No. Okay. It's hard to find. Um, there's a good reason why it's hard to find right now. Um, but about, so in 2020, um, in the final stages, there were two competitors in finals, I believe, who used Eugenoides. Um, just to, go back on that we know that most coffee drank in the world is arabica arabica is a variety and there's also robusta they're your two most common coffees varieties of coffee that are grown and consumed Uh, robusta is kind of leathery and has some complex deep dark notes that typically go in traditional italian espresso Um, arabica being the coffee that we all know love and enjoy that's the one that we our palates typically find most pleasurable and we we like it but eugenoides is another variety um, and it's just an, another type of coffee, basically. Um, good reasons why it's not grown. It's tiny, uh, tiny, tiny little beans. They almost look like apple seeds. They, mm. They're really, really small. If we consider that from a, um, a farm level, the, the amount that a plant can yield, given that a farmer is paid in weight, they need to grow a heck of a lot of eugenoides to make a profit. Right. Um, we also need a lot of people to buy it for them to grow more of it in order to turn a profit. So it's just not something that's done. Um, I can't speak as an expert as to why or who started this kind of mini rejuvenation, quote unquote, um, of eugenoides. But we have started to see it popping up occasionally um, in 2020 uh, to go back to competition. Um, Isaiah Shis uh, from Archetype Coffee in uh, Omaha. He had a Eugenoides, and then Andrea Allen, who won in 2020, she also had a Eugenoides as well. Um, It's distinct in its flavor. It lacks an acid, which in modern coffee terms is quite unusual. Like, we're all about the acid. Yeah, like, you know that. We're looking for brightness in coffee. People just tend to look for that nowadays. Um, And we are assessing coffee in the competition by flavor balance. And flavor balance is acidity, sweetness, and bitterness. So when we remove that acidic uh, element, you could potentially score lower, right? Um, but it doesn't have a huge amount of acid, but what it does have, it has a lot of supporting sweetness and it's got a lot of unique flavors, often candy, strawberry, like a strawberry starburst, but without any acid, hmm. kind of, that's kind of going on. Um, anyway, so yeah, a Eugenoides turned up this time. So we had some Geshers, we had a Eugenoides. Um, there were a couple of just uh, washed Colombian, washed Ethiopian, I think as well. I, I have a, not a soft spot in competition. I'm listening for these calls. I want to make sure that I'm being told this, but then I'm instantly forgetting it. Like, I'm not letting it influence my experience with the coffee per se. I'm just taking it on board that they have mentioned this, display some coffee knowledge, and then and then making an assessment of the coffee. Um, I think they're probably the two trends, like, in, in terms of the things that I th- were sticking out to me. Also, I will say there were quite a few first-time competitors, and the standard of presentation 
like just presentation and professionalism alone and professionalism is a bit of a squirrely word i don't really know what that means but just in terms of the quality of presentation it was better than any year that i've judged by a distance the first time competitors crushed it like absolutely crushed it you would not believe a first time competitor came second overall Hmm. um so i was fully impressed with that given that they've only had two months to prepare um blows me away every time in two months to someone that's never trained for this you go that seems like a long time oh, like, and yeah. so how long typically would a barista competitor knowing they're going to the nationals like what would be a standard length of time where you go okay this is a comfortable amount of time to be able to prepare for a competition um i i don't want to i think it might have been andrea allen not the year that she won but maybe the year before that but it, it may have been another competitor so i apologize if i got this wrong but one of the competitors who kind of gave an interview shortly after the competition um was asked about will they be competing next year and they were like yeah that starts today and it mm. was you know it was like a week two weeks later because you have to consider what it is they're doing um a very simple uh, a simplification of what it is that a coffee competitor does in the barista championships is they write and memorize and then perform a 15-minute monologue whilst preparing uh, 12 of the best beverages that they can do. Um, and they have to prepare those beverages in the to be the best barista in the United States whilst reciting a 15-minute monologue that they have written. Um, it's an incredible task and it requires an incredible amount of practice. Um, it requires a lot of resources to be able to do that for the 12 months, 11 months that they will be doing that. And they will be doing it for that long. I think that's a really good transition point to get into it. Before we do that, I thought it might be. I'm going to take a quick pause here, try to get this camera to stop flickering, and then we will continue on. All right, we're back. And you brought up a good point. Uh, if you want to hear more about the all the complexities of the Barista Championship, the competition itself, that is a lot about what we talked about in episode 10. So mm-hmm. we're not going to get too into the actual competition itself because we'll assume you have listened to episode 10 already of course. and that you know all the complexity of the competition. But really what I want to get into here and why I thought that was a good transition is the winner this year, uh, Morgan. Uh, or if you're a TikToker like myself, you know her as Morgan Drinks Coffee. Uh, created a little bit of a controversy taking home the title. Uh, and there's a number of reasons, a lot of them inspired by Reddit. There was a deep Reddit and a coffee subreddit about Morgan winning the competition. Do you want to kind of highlight what's because you come prepared with materials? <laughs> I've got my notes, but why don't you highlight kind of what the conversation around Morgan winning the competition, what the conversation points are, and why that's controversial in the first place? I mean, I'm going to take a step back from the word controversial. I'll say this. It raises interesting to- it raises interesting questions. And I think it raises interesting questions about competition as a whole. And I think it raises relevant and important questions about judges, right? Can we ever be impartial as a judge with regards to the drinks, to the coffee, to the serveware, and obviously to the competitor? Can we ever be fully impartial? We have some conscious bias right that that is nature human nature we use that subconscious bias to kind of guide us through life so as judges are we expected to remove all of that subconscious bias and just kind of go at it completely neutrally ideally i believe i do i can't speak to my subconscious bias it's subconscious um but i will do my best you know i like to think so um but morgan eckroth winning it is interesting because i would say they are probably along with James Hoffman, probably the most famous coffee person in the world right now. Um, I'll, let's use the word influencer, why not? Probably the most famous coffee influencer in the world right now. Um, one of my fellow judges had never heard of Morgan at all. Um, I have actually judged Morgan in the past, so I, I became, I knew, I knew Morgan before Morgan was Morgan drinks coffee. Um, <laughs> I just knew them as a coffee competitor. Um, I think they 
placed top 12? Maybe they placed top top 32, but they were definitely there in finals. Kansas City, uh, you were there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was familiar with Morgan, and then I, I knew that Morgan went off and did some stuff on TikTok. Can't say I'm a TikTok guy. I'm the pre-TikTok generation. Um, Facebook guy myself. That's the ages <laughs> me. And the Facebook generation. Don't uh, worry, my, I, I am of that generation too, but I'm on TikTok heavy. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, and then Morgan's huge on YouTube as well um, and does some fantastic stuff. And I think it's really interesting looking at what they do and looking at like what Hoffman does, for example, given that they're the two most well-known. Hoffman speaks to coffee people, speaks to coffee, um, coffee geeks, home coffee geeks, home coffee geek specifically but does address some stuff that's also useful for those of us in the industry as well and it's just entertaining and nice to watch someone speak so eruditely about coffee right that's always a nice thing morgan definitely speaks to a slightly different generation which is not to say that they don't have expertise because they absolutely do um but they definitely have a slightly different audience i would say to hoffman that became fairly apparent if you look a at the comments maybe if you go into reddit but then b some of the comments on the youtube video when it was streamed so morgan actually streamed this live uh, they streamed their performances uh, as they were doing them. They had a camera on stage streaming it, but then they were also streaming it from the audience as well. Um, I, I should add, this was the first year in my memory anywhere where the SCA or the US com- Coffee Competition Committee didn't stream this. Like Usually the coffee competitions are streamed live. Um, due to a number of factors, it just wasn't plausible at this time. But I think they did record them all, so they will be available online in the future. But Morgan streamed it live himself. Um, I think their husband, Graham it live and so it was interesting looking at some of the comments on there it became apparent that these weren't people who were familiar with coffee competition as a whole they were just morgan fans which is awesome right that's awesome because it's a whole whole new swath of people who are coming in to coffee through morgan coming into coffee competition through morgan so it's the geekiest of the geekiest right coffee competition is geekier than coffee geekiness can be yeah, right? when like, i tell someone i'm going to a coffee competition it's usually like wait like for fun or like yes. you have to because of work i'm like well i mean technically but like there's a reason i started a coffee company it's because i'm obsessed yeah and it's really geeky and it's it's a lot of fun right those are the those are the reasons yeah. we do it and, and we, I, I think you brought up a great point about like james hoffman versus morgan is i'm a fan of both of them yeah. have, have been for some time because i got on tiktok in like 2019 anybody that did coffee content i was following immediately mm-hmm. so i've been following morgan since 2019 and James Hoffman, obviously, like, very, very in-depth analysis. But I think part of the thing that should be pointed out is he's been YouTube. Yeah. It's a different platform. YouTube is a platform where it can be long-form. It can be a yep. five-minute video. It can be a one-hour video. You can go in-depth. Whereas someone that's going to excel on TikTok, right now I think the the proper length for the most viral type of TikTok is seven seconds. And what Morgan's really good at is creating like super relatable experiences you have yep. going into a coffee shop from the viewpoint as a barista. And the irony of someone saying potentially like, oh, someone that just does this fun, like this funny, goofy content it now all of a sudden is winning the championship. It's like they've been competing for the past yep. four years. And it, 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 not to say... I think it's an interesting conversation, but I think the first point you're bringing up here is a common theme across this is that because Morgan has this social media notoriety that it influenced the judgment of her competition. And then if you really want to go all the way, 
more towards like the conspiracy side side would be like, oh, the SCA wants Morgan to win yeah. because th- they have this uh, big reach, and then it will help us as the SCA and as Specialty Coffee as a mm-hmm. whole to increase our audience if Morgan wins because then more people will be interested in what's going on now. Myself, I'm not a firm believer on that conspiracy. I, th- <laughs> I, th- I don't think that's happening. That the SCA, you're a judge. Yeah. Did the SCA yeah. come to you I, and say, "Hey, we we need Morgan to win"? They did. They did not. No. I've known you for a while. I know you're a trustworthy <laughs> guy. I know if someone approached you and said they have to win, you'd say, "You know what? I'm probably shouldn't judge anymore." Yeah, exactly. But it's the unconscious, uh, the subconscious, un- yeah. uh, subconscious bias that you might have. And the the argument people are making is, well, if all the judges know of this person, even I was reading the Reddit about the person who didn't know them ahead of time, that they checked out one video, you're aware it's happening. Yeah. You're aware yeah. this is a different competitor than the other people. But one thing I don't think is being considered is that as a judge, and I'm putting myself in your shoes here, yeah. If I hear someone has a heavy social media influence, I think everyone goes, oh, automatically every judge is going to grade everything better. The opposite can happen, too. Yeah, for sure. Where you're trying to suppress your bias so hard that you're going to start ignoring things that you would normally view as a great presentation. Oh, that was a great point. This was a great way to do this and be like, I'm going to suppress that even more. And, And so in a weird way, it balances out. I think as long as judges are aware that there's a potential bias, I think between the amount, all the judges together and the three days of competition, it's not just one person being like, I love, I love your TikTok." You win. Yeah, Morgan Eckroth's biggest fan just gives it gives them six, six, six all the way down the sheet. Well, going back to the point that I made earlier, like when we talk about calibration between judges, if three judges have scored twos, two point fives, and threes, and someone's gone sixes all the way down, something's not right there, right? That's going to take a level, serious level of calibration to get it back in, and it would be fairly apparent. So, to be able to for for a judge to be able to deliberately influence it would be impossible. Um, I'll go back to kind of like a point when you asked me like going back to judging after like a couple of years away from it and like how it felt and then I'll bring that to Morgan because I'm not a TikTok guy but I'm a YouTube guy Um, I typically watch YouTube more than I watch regular TV I've got my subscriptions and I'll go home and I'll just kind of scroll down doom scroll through the YouTube subscriptions until I see one that I haven't seen before and Morgan was on there one of the reasons for that is I quite like looking at uh, equipment reviews or people using equipment I've got no real interest personally in brewing espresso at home I do that in work I drink tea at home uh, full disclosure um, but I like seeing them I like to be familiar with them mm. uh, know what the trends are know yeah, what people are using like at home people ask me about it right like the, when they typically when you're in, when you're in a bar and they find out you're working coffee and they're like oh what about this espresso machine I like to be able to talk about exactly. it exactly um, and, and then I just Morgan re- uh, reviewed the Smeg espresso machine no i don't need to right now i don't need to know about it i know about it through morgan so I, I i follow follow them because of that and then it became apparent i remember i don't remember exactly the video but it became apparent that they were going to start they got accepted into usbc mm-hmm. so they got drawn out of the lottery and it became apparent that they were going to start filming themselves prepping and preparing for competition mm-hmm. i i can say personally i can't speak for other judges at that moment i unsubscribed sorry morgan um but i didn't want to see any of it I, I didn't want to have any of that leading up into competition. I'm already aware of Morgan Eckroth as a competitor because I'd already judged them back in 2019 or wherever it was. Um, I'm now also aware of, obviously, Morgan Eckroth as being successful within social media, um, and I'm aware they're going to be in a competition that I'm going to be judging as well. So going back 
like I hadn't judged for a couple of years. I'm coming into judging. I'm aware that Morgan's there. I was concerned. Uh, like a, a small part of me is like, am I going to react differently if I have to judge Morgan at any point? How am I going to feel? This is someone that I've watched on YouTube every couple of days for you know a year or so like is this going to influence me something that i had forgotten and again i can only speak for myself i can't speak for my uh, the other judges although i would imagine it's going to be similar for them the the moment that i pick up my clipboard on calibration day so on the thursday competition begins on the friday on the thursday the thursday is the hardest day for the judges we literally we get in at 8 a.m and we just split up into groups and we just taste 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 um espresso milk beverage and signature beverages made by just volunteers who are pretending to be competitors and we taste and we score and we taste and we talk and score each other's explanations right so i'll tell you what i'm experiencing and you would score it and then they would ask is that where you scored it kind of thing we would go through all of that the moment that i started doing that i became i kind of went into judge mode <laughs> right um and it, that then continues into competition and the moment that i take a seat like we walk onto stage we acknowledge the competitors we don't shake their hands anymore um but we acknowledge the competitors and the moment that i take a seat i'm aware of the person in front of me i'm aware that they're a barista and i go into judge mode which is where i am looking i'm not looking left or right i'm not, i'm blinkered we wear blinkers as sensory judges we assess what happens in front of us i'm not looking at them technically so i'm not looking at what they're doing on the machine i'm not looking at what they do serve to the judges left or right of me whether there were spillages or anything there i'm assessing my experience which is straight in front of me the person in front of me at that moment this i think may be hard to believe for people who haven't done it but the person in front of me at that moment fades away and it's a barista who I am urging with all of my might for every single barista competitor to just do as good as you can. Please, please do as good as you can, mm. right? Because I just want them all to do so well and then to be able to make a judgment based on all of their best presentations and their best drinks that they can serve me. And I, I, I know this to be the case because I struggle for about an hour afterwards i could tell you everything about every single presentation and drink that i'm served and then within an hour it's kind of gone mm. right like it's like it's all there it's all on that score sheet it goes there and then it goes again and the reason for that is because i'm not i don't have that personal touch with the barista yeah. like you do in a cafe right where, where, where the, they talk to you and you have that chat and you know them and you know your experience and you can remember it because it's it's, it's been a human right not to dehumanize the competitors, but just at that moment, all I'm doing is assessing my experience. Yeah, and that's why you want experienced judges in this situation. There's this cool psychological phenomenon that I'm that I think is really cool. That it's what effect does pressure have on someone in any given situation? And the results of the study were basically that the less experience you have a high pressure situation will make you perform far less. The more experience you have, the more pressure is, the better you actually perform. Mm -hmm. So from looking at judges, it, and I don't think people often view judges as like, oh, they're under pressure, but like in the coffee community, oh, yeah. that's a tremendous amount of pressure because if you're way off or if you score something differently that affects the way that the U.S. Barista Championship goes and that information gets out or if the other judges are unhappy judging with you, that's not great. <laughs> and the word spreads around quickly in the specialty coffee community. So that's always there. And so the more experience you have as a judge, that's a high-pressure situation. Yeah. Judging the final day of the U.S. Barista competition. And so that phenomenon that you, you explained makes sense to me, that you have eight 
plus competitions under your belt. And so this scenario is not new to you. So when that pressure is applied to someone, if it was their first competition, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it would have the opposite effect. Things would get blurry. You'd be noticing things that you're not supposed to. But with the more experience that you have, the more pressure that's applied or the higher pressure situation will actually lead to a more accurate judging, which might seem counterintuitive. But that's why I think that study is really cool. And as we're looking at the score sheet here, I think – for, for someone like myself, I've never judged a Brisa competition. I have a good idea of how it is judged or yeah. the format of it. But if you're just watching it, and this happens with a lot of people that I'm sure 2022 was the first SCA uh, event that a lot of people have been to. Yeah. And I'm sure Morgan has had a lot of influence on that. A lot of people that are, you know, casual coffee drinkers or maybe in a barista somewhere but not familiar with the whole scene this is probably a lot of people's first exposure to it and when you're just watching the competition you mentioned this on our first episode you can watch a charismatic funny awesome presenter and you're like that person won anyone who doesn't think that person won is is a dummy Mm -hmm. and then they don't do well and you're like well these judges are out of their mind and this is where the conversation comes in about how much of the barista competition is technical? So the actual execution of the espresso, the milk drinks, and the signature beverage versus, and this is actually going to be a great segue into our next topic, but how much of it are the technical portions of it? And then how much of it is just the the flair of the presentation? Mm-hmm. It's uh, So my fellow judge on finals day jackson from peace coffee there was a big minnesota representation within judging and that was just coincidental but he knows all of the scores and he knows all the percentages because he's a genius and awesome um but the very large part of the scoring is drink based the, the, the majority of the scoring is drink based and i don't see a way and it, it's 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 for me it's the biggest gap between what happens on stage and the audience the barrier i suppose is the word the biggest barrier is is like you said the the audience see the presentation they see the competitor they see what they're doing they hear it as well um, but they don't get to drink the drinks and the drinks are what scores right like that is where your big 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 scores are um taste balance accuracy of flavor descriptors um tactile of espresso shots they're huge tactiles all the points pretty much you know in in some regard it's not to do with the presentation that being said the competitor's ability to communicate the experience that the judges are going to receive of the specific coffees that is massive and that can be linked to presentation skills right like if you are able to calmly and succinctly describe to a judge what they're going to experience and do it in a timely manner so the judge is able to really uh, take on board what it is they're going to experience and then and then be able to assess it effectively that's really really going to help so those two things do kind of go hand in hand but if they communicate really effectively what it is we're going to experience and then we experience something completely different they're still not going to score well and i think that's a good segue into the next topic so Morgan trained with Onyx, yes. uh, to my understanding. Yep. And anyone who's listening to this probably knows who Onyx is because this is a coffee podcast. If you don't know about Onyx Coffee Roasters, uh, they are out of Arkansas, uh, Rogers, Arkansas, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they have kind of always been present in the high end of these competitions. Yep. You see Onyx competitors in every single finals, whether it's Barista, Brewers Cup, Cup uh, cup Tasting Championship, they, from the beginning, have placed a heavy emphasis on this and through the years have become a dominant force because they have 
insane resources because they are a large business. So they have a lot of resources to be able to devote directly to competition. And then they also get access to some of the best coffees because they have the resources and the connections and relationships to be able to source some of the rarest, best coffees. How, you know, that's a a Mm -hmm. subjective term, but they have the ability to get these coffees and this leads to the next competition or competition point that was kind of like people are like, oh, they won because they, of course, if you're getting trained by the best barista comp- competitors in the country, you, you've got this leg up on everybody else. So this competition is no longer valid because it's only about who can throw the most money at it, get the rarest, craziest coffees, the most expensive coffees, and then to be able to devote all the resources to be able to compete. Yeah. What are your initial thoughts on someone with this take? Because this one, is, this is where it starts to get more complex to me. I, I, I came to a pretty quick com- uh, conclusion on the social media side that it's like, yes, there's going to be bias if you know who they are. Yeah. But I, again, think that could swing both ways. I think it tends to balance. And then someone that has the experience to be a judge at the U.S. Barista uh, Championship, such as yourself, yep. is, is, has, to, uh, has to accommodate a lot of factors. Someone being well-known is going to be one of them. Hell, one thing people aren't talking about, past judges probably know people. The specialty coffee community is a tight Mm -hmm. community. You have to judge friends. You have to judge associates. So it's like there's all sorts of biases. Me personally, I'd probably have stronger biases towards someone I met earlier in the day that was super nice (laughs) versus someone that's famous on social media. So you can't say that this one bias. Anyway, that I I kind of got over quickly. I was like, that does not explain how someone wins this competition. But... It opens up the next layer where they were trained by Onyx with a lot of resources, some of the best previous winners, competitors in the country, and on equipment, and with everything you might need to possibly train for the best possible routine. What is your take on someone that says, well, anybody with access to those resources is going to be able to win? You know, like, I don't disagree. No, I do strongly disagree with the last statement. Like anyone with access to those resources is definitely going to win is is simply untrue. I can give my mother the most beautiful <laughs> Eugenoides and give her an espresso machine and go, there you go, Ma, make some espresso and she's not going to win the US Barista Championships. Um, even if you had basic skills, you're not going to come anywhere near winning the United States Barista Championships. The, the, the level of barista is exceptional across the board. Um, think of the best coffee shop that is near you, wherever it may be. Um, go there, watch the baristas working and they are exceptional in their skills. Um and the people at United States are in Barista Championships will be equally uh, as good and probably, if not better, than them. Um, here's, here's my thought, though, I guess. You're not wrong, right? Like, resources help, of course. It's a competition. Um, and I don't think there's a competition out there if it has any relative value um, to a wider audience beyond those who are directly involved in the competition. Then there are going to be resources put towards it by outside, not outside influences, but but by those who stand to gain. Um, Onyx offer, I guess, consultancy. Um, I'm just going to quickly throw in that I did not know that Morgan was trained by Onyx prior to the competition because I stopped following Morgan online. Um, But Onyx clearly offer a level of consultation. They're incredibly experienced in competition. Probably, you know, they've been the most successful coffee company within competition within the last five years, definitely. Um, One could say that they've probably grown their brand off the strength of competition, which is awesome. Um, And 
if you have the backing of that resource so if you have access to that resource however you gain it you are going to be in a stronger position than potentially be in a stronger position than those who don't but that's not to say that you're guaranteed to win right like you still need to have the 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 base to be able to take those resources use them and put together a presentation and be able to brew those drinks under that pressure and execute it on stage in front of in morgan's case probably millions of people and and be able to do that that's very hard to do but yes it's definitely definitely true that resources help and that is the same you know not to be too crazy but you know you can look at formula one you know you can look at racing you know it's the most the richest teams they're the ones who are winning it um so it's not fair to criticize someone individually for winning it because they have resources and we understand why people put forward those resources because ultimately there is a level of onyx onyx don't Onyx do competition because they enjoy it and because they are part of the coffee community. That's absolutely true and it's great to take part in these things. But they also understand that by doing competition, it's going to boost their reputation and their exposure to a wider coffee audience. Point proven five years later because everybody knows who Onyx is. Five years ago, that wasn't the case. And that's that's my big takeaway is I go, yes, it's undeniable. If you have access to resources, better equipment, better grinders, better coffee, of course it's going to be an advantage. Yeah. But that's true of any competition. Yeah. And Onyx, it's just good business. Yeah. Why do they have those resources? Because they had a really good business strategy from the start, whether it was starting with anonymous coffee roasters, with the private label business, to be able to create the revenue needed, to be able to launch a high-end brand of Onyx and be mm-hmm. able to grow it. And then they were one of the first ones to identify that, oh, The quickest way to build a reputation in the specialty coffee community is to consistently win at the national coffee championships. And so they're saying, oh, they have all these resources to to divert to this. They've been diverting a disproportionate amount of resources from very early on compared to the revenue they were likely bringing in at the time. 100%. And so to say that, oh, they just have all this money to throw at, maybe now. But they've been doing this from a time that a lot of people would say, you're spending and focusing way too much on competition. But that is the thing about building a brand, is you might not be able to see the ROI right away when you're investing disproportionate amounts of money in things like a coffee competition. Mm -hmm. But when in a period of five years, you have competitors in every single competition that are placing high, that you just start to form this this synonymous link in your head that like, oh, Onyx Coffee. Yeah, it's great coffee. I mean, look at all these competitors that are winning with Onyx Coffee. Yep. And it's a strategic approach. If if we remove, like if we were to remove exposure, right? If we were to remove sponsorship from the competition, it wouldn't take place. We need the funds that sponsorship brings and we get the sponsorship because of the exposure, right? So Onyx are just taking part in that. My company, Intimix Beverage, we're taking part in that. Like they help me out in judging because it, gives them me exposure but it gives them exposure as well right they they put me through that in the same way it just everybody involved has to accept that we are taking part in something that couldn't exist without exposure for companies that are involved in it and then the on the flip side of that to say oh morgan was with onyx that's the only reason they want well guess why onyx wants to work with morgan She's been competing for three to four years, so already has been proven that before having the training of Onyx Mm -hmm. is a high-level competitor. No one really seemed to bring that up in the conversation. Already a national-level competitor. 
meanwhile, has been working like crazy for the past three to four years to build this social media presence. People tend to only look at people successful on social media once they're successful and be like, that's so easy. They've got a million followers. But when you look at the consistency of posting, the creativity of the posting, not to mention the reason there is so many, there are so many creative idea uh, ideas on Morgan's YouTube, on TikTok, is because of the experience they have yep. as a barista. All the experience they have in coffee, they can create videos every single day with super relatable coffee and barista content because the, the things you experience as a barista are limitless if you've been doing it for a time. Mm -hmm. Every single day brings up something new that you're like, I'm sure every barista has gone through this. And the longer you have experience in it, the longer it's able to create. Yep. So the reason Onyx wants to work with Morgan is because a high-level competitor and created this like social media mini empire within the co and if you're talking within coffee like you said is it james hoffman or or morgan it's like yep. these two separate people but uh different strategies and you're kind of downplaying the amount of work and dedication it takes to be able to do that oh, it's phenomenal a phenomenal amount of work someone looks at it and goes oh my gosh you you're getting supported by onyx you're having sponsorships you're having all these brand deals and all you have to do is create a 10 second video every day every day for the past four years and guess what the first two and a half years of those tiktok wasn't even really monetizing anything so you're doing all of this work not knowing if there's a payout and meanwhile in the first year you're doing you probably have people kind of laughing at you being like oh you're on that dancing app talking about coffee <laughs> i mean when i joined it people were like and that's Rob. He does stupid shit all the time. But you're you're downplaying. <laughs> I thought that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're downplaying that's th that entire like time, effort, well, and focus. It's a skill. It it's a skill set. Yeah. Right? Like not. Uh, I'm going to use my mother again. Uh, my mother couldn't go on TikTok and just be successful. <laughs> I mean, maybe she would, but I, I doubt it. Right? She doesn't have that skill set. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Right? She doesn't have that skill set. Morgan's got that skill set. Morgan's got the skill set to be successful. Onyx has the skill set to be successful in competition. When you put those two skill sets together, then you're going to get a fairly awesome force that's likely to do fairly well in in competition. Right? Yeah. Um, there's that. I'll, I'll I'll throw in another kicker as well, just quickly, just kind of try and debunk the myth slightly that this is all down to resources. Um, going back to what I said earlier about how we traditionally have the competition season, that it runs with preliminaries and qualifiers and, and then going into the final rounds. In qualifiers and in the final round, the competitor sources their own coffees. Um, so they'll work with different roasters or they may even work directly with farms to source their own coffees for competition. Quite often these are competition-specific coffees, i.e. they are low-volume, low-yield, high-high-quality, very, very expensive coffees. Um, I'm very fortunate that I get to drink these prepared by the best baristas in the US. It's a perk of the job. Um, and they they will use those coffees. But preliminaries, preliminaries typically start in August time. So there will be preliminaries starting this year for the 2023 season in August. Preliminaries are designed as an access point for those who want to dip their foot in the water when it comes to coffee competition. Um, and that comes to judging as well as competing um, and in preliminaries typically um, there are three standard coffees that barista competitors uh, can choose from and they don't get access to those coffees till the day of the competition or the day before the competition I should say um, and they will cup those coffees they know nothing about them I think they're told altitude um, and they may be told origin but they're not told anything about who roasted them anything like that they just get to choose it and I think they're given three pounds of that coffee and that is their coffee to use for the 
entire weekend. So they will typically have a presentation prepared that's a fairly broad, um, broad message. They'll have something to do, but they will then have to insert all of the information or everything that they learn about this coffee in a short period of time. In those preliminaries, you will find in the same way that I mentioned that I really like that because it warms me up judging wise, like I get to judge the prelim and then qualifiers and then go into finals. So I kind of feel good and ready to go. You will often find the preliminaries are open to pretty much anyone who wants to to um, compete, but you will find past competitors, experienced competitors, competitors who've placed top six um, competing in preliminaries. It, it seems a little unfair maybe, but consider what we've just talked about that Morgan won because they had access to the most expensive coffee well funny stuff those competitors who are exceptional and have placed well they typically win preliminaries as well so that tells you something, right? They've just preliminaries had, where you are going in with the same head to coffee head with the same coffee. You else. and me sitting there with the same coffee. But right? that, to, to, that, that was not the case this year. That we didn't have preliminaries this right. year. But in years gone by, that has absolutely been the case. That if these top competitors who come to kind of prelims to kind of warm up, get kind of start a routine together, they will place one, two, or three in preliminaries. So that that argument might hold a little more weight this year in terms of coming with a superior coffee yeah uh, this year it might have a little more weight well, versus years I'll, past. I'll add to that with regards to the preliminaries and these competitors these these experienced competitors um winning it i think the argument can be made well heck they're experienced right whereas preliminaries are there potentially for people to dip their foot in the water so it's experienced against those who are maybe less or un- inexperienced entirely and i would agree right like it's a level of experience that is helping them to do that But then I think something we have to keep in mind, and I think this is something that is often lost, um, the United States Barista Championship is not there, and maybe others would argue, other judges would argue with me, but in, in my opinion, it's not there to crown the best barista in the United States. It's there to crown the best barista competitor in the United States. Um, an example I'll give, um, Usain Bolt is not the fastest man who ever lived. Usain Bolt is the fastest man who ever competed, Right which is not to say that there is someone who is faster. We've got no idea, but we have to put it in context of only certain people choose to compete. Some people don't choose to compete because they don't have an interest, but they may be quicker, naturally. There may be baristas out there who are incredible and could crush the United States Barista Championships, but whatever the reasons may be, they do not choose to compete. It's not in their interest. They don't find competition fun or any of the above, you know? So it's important that we think about that, that this is a competition and these are competitors. Um, It's not just trying to crown a barista. And so experience of competition will help you. And and that is one of the major knocks on the competition where it's kind of like, what's the point of this competition (laughs) if... Being an actual barista really will not train you to do well in the barista championship. One of my big takeaways when I was first getting into coffee, I was just trying to absorb all coffee content I possibly could. And one of the things I'm sure most people in the coffee industry have seen is the barista documentary. Uh, It's like an hour 40 long documentary, and it is following along barista competitors uh, on their journey. And Intelligentsia was the big name at the time. So Intelligentsia, which has kind of quickly been replaced by Onyx because of the focus. But at the time, Intelligentsia was the dominant force because, again, they have resources. They're uh, uh, devoting resources to the barista competitors. One of them was an Intelligentsia competitor. And it was, I think it was following three, four, five, whatever it was, competitors along their uh, route to nationals. And one of my big takeaways that I never really sat with me right was 
after the fact they go this person plays second this person plays six and then it goes on to explain this is what they're doing now yeah and almost every single person was like they're a bartender now and you're like or this person yeah. now works a sales job and you're like I, it kind of makes sense that you. one of the things about the Barista Championship that's complicated is you go, what value does it add? And I think that's where some of this like conflict about the competition starts to arise is you go, it comes back to that core issue of like, is a barista a livable profession? Mm-hmm. If the top barista competitors in the world, in the nation, if it's not elevating their career as yeah. a barista, then what is it really doing? I think that's changing a little bit with social media. I think there are different avenues you can pursue. Morgan's a great example mm-hmm. of taking a profession as a barista and turning and she, it into she something. Still works, she still works behind the cups. Exactly. Like Morgan's still, Morgan's still there just knocking out the drinks. Yeah, and so she's taken something and created into a wildly successful social media career. And I think you see a lot of people go on to launch coffee brands. You see a lot of people move on to start their own businesses, whether it's as a consultant, their own shops. There's different avenues you can take. But that was my big takeaway from the documentary that I was like, oh, that's a little weird. But I wanted to circle back on a a couple of points that I'd written down here. Uh, First, going back to the point of, oh, you, you just have all the resources in the world. If you're a smaller coffee company and you say, we just don't have the dollars to devote purely into competition, mm-hmm. you might want to start to reevaluate how you view the competition. Because if you view it as this superfluous spend, and the only way it would be worth it is if we won, and it's money wasted, you go, okay. But if you start to view it as a marketing expense, mm-hmm. it's a very high risk, high reward marketing expense. But if you have a promising barista that is really locked in, really wants to compete, or even, let's take the Onyx model, find someone that's competed previously, bring them in or train them, and you start to look at this as marketing dollars, if you're a company and you say, hey, if we can place in this multiple years in a row, Mm -hmm. our brand is going to elevate faster within specialty coffee than probably any other avenue you're going to be able to find. Unless you're consistently, you know, there's like basically in my mind, it's like Good Food Awards is a pretty highly revered yeah. coffee competition. And then you've got the the Coffee Champs competitions. And mm-hmm. outside of that, you know, Golden Bean kind of has some mixed feelings about that. Maybe. They yeah. give out too many medals. Kind of. It's like you get one gold and then everything beyond that is just how you score. A bronze medal basically means that you submitted a coffee. Hot take, sorry. <laughs> But outside of those two competitions, if you can regularly place in those, you elevate your brand so quickly. So if you can start to view it as, oh, we don't have enough resources to do this and say, hey, we're instead going to take a long-term play and invest a higher percentage of our marketing dollars back into this or just shifting what you spend on and saying this is going to now be a part of our budget, mm-hmm. because, but it's a high-risk, high-reward thing to do. And I think it's kind of you, you're seeing the other side of Onyx and you're saying like, well, yeah, of course it's Onyx. And you're like, yeah, but what made them? Yep. They diverted uh, uh, or devoted a higher proportion of their dollars towards it at a time when it probably didn't make the most sense when you're looking at IROI as a business. I mean, and, and, and I think nowadays, t- today specifically, after the last two years, we understand, you specifically understand how much coffee you sell online. Right, like, and yeah. how much coffee you're able to sell nationally. I wonder, and I don't know, I wonder like five years ago whether Onyx had a former business plan where they were going to use competition as a way to be able to sell their coffee nationally, build wholesale, or whether it was just that they like 
coffee competitions and they were like, we might sell more coffee locally wholesale. And it might be a combination of both, but that is an amazing point because I wasted so much money advertising in 2020 online. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult to advertise as a coffee roaster online because how do you communicate what your coffee tastes like without it looking like every single other coffee ad out there? So the things that stick out, if you're a coffee lover, if someone says we're a... five-time barista championship company if we're a five-time cup taster is this and you can basically list out these awards and you just bam right in your face on an ad that is a compelling ad to just say like we roast the best yeah yeah, sorry to shit on the industry but (laughs) i I wasted enough money to be able to shit on this because i did it myself everybody's got the magic beans we roast the highest quality coffees from around the world to bring out the most natural flavor without bitterness for the best cup of coffee in your morning are they ethical and and (laughs) (laughs) ethically sourced by what standards (laughs) our standards they are and you're like shit like these things are all true i'm sure but it's like from a marketing standpoint, the, all these things are important as a coffee company to be doing, but from a marketing standpoint, it's bad business. Yeah. And so to look at this and say, if we can place this year, we now have something to advertise for the next year. I'll, I'll throw in an, uh, another reason why it's re- I think it's really important or uh, from a marketing standpoint as well. Placing, absolutely, it puts you in the public eye. You'll be on Sprudge. You'll be in Daily Coffee News. Mm. Um, you may get picked up by the local press kind of thing. Like you get those interviews. But just purely from a networking level, it's massive, right? This is a collection of coffee professionals. And I I would say I get m- like my non-coffee friends, like I was I was going to say coffee curious friends, but they're not, I wouldn't even class them as coffee curious. There's people who drink coffee on a day-to-day yeah. basis, but they're not particularly, they're not going to go out and do their research. They just buy what they see in, in Sam's Club or, or in Costco, right? Not because they don't want better coffee, just because that's what they see when they're shopping and they need coffee. But they will now ask me ty- occasionally, like, what coffee should I check out? Well, my exposure to coffee roasters around the United States comes through competition. And it's not through the competitors per se. It's just that I see who they represent. But judges, um, I just chat to them. Like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I can tell you, June Coffee Roaster, Parlor in New York, um, Barista Daily Grind. Like, I only came across these coffee roasters, uh, Mm. coffee companies, because I've met them, people from those companies at competition, had a great conversation, gone back online. Archetype that I mentioned earlier, it's just because as I was competing, I found Archetype. And then people asked me, have I had a good Gesher recently, or have I had a good this? I'll say, yeah, check out Archetype online. You'll find that there, right? Like I'm able to communicate what I'm seeing and there. So it's just a networking event if you want to look at it yeah, that and, way. And it's and it's the word of mouth is like uh, from the the book Tipping Point Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. I forget the exact term he says, but everybody's got a person. Yeah, they've got a person that they go to uh, within your friend group, within your city, within your state. There's always like the top person that they go to, and within the friend groups, it's probably the most impactful. You're a lot of people's coffee person. I'm a lot of people's coffee person. Mm-hmm. That they go, I want a good, I want a good bag. Who, sh- what type of coffee should I get? And I go, you mean besides folly in this case, because it should be folly, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you you like, and you have these roasters in your mind. Yeah. And then the other part of what you mentioned is all the publications you get into online. I'm learning more and more the importance of backlinks. And what a backlink is is when a website has your business's website linked on theirs. Yeah. The more daily and monthly visitors that a website gets, the higher value that backlink is. Google the way they look at the legitimacy of a website and how high it should show up on your searches. Backlinks are a huge way that they go, okay, if Perfect Daily Grind 
which is a huge publication, Sprudge, all these huge coffee publications, if they have a link to everybody that's a finalist, they also link to the company website. Yeah. And so if all of a sudden, all at once in a short period of time, you're getting three, four, five big-time coffee publications all linking to it, not only are people reading it that are coffee nerds, but then also Google goes, oh, hey, this is a really legit site that all of a sudden is now all of a sudden shooting up the rankings. Mm -hmm. If someone searches coffee roaster uh, and they're in Minnesota, uh, if, if I'm a finalist in that, they go, oh, well, we should show them this coffee roaster because this has the most backlinks recently, which means it's super legit because it's recent and it's got all these backlinks. So there's so many factors that go into it that it's tough as a business owner and we have put no effort to barista championship competition, mm-hmm. but we place a heavy focus on cup tasters. Yeah. Yeah. And basically what I tell Jeff is I just go, you tell me what you need. It's way cheaper than barista yeah. championship, but Jeff, whatever you need to compete at a high level, let me know. And I want to make sure I get that to you. Be present, turn up and yeah. you will meet people and just come to the audience. Just go and sit in the audience for one of these competitions and you will meet people from different coffee roasters there, you know, different coffee companies that are there. hundred percent. And I think those were kind of the big, the the two biggest things that I think people were like, resources are going to get it to. And then the last point there is if you're, I think there's two kind of different ways to view this through the lens of, I think it's to view it someone who's interested in competing mm-hmm. and how frustrating that must be if you're like, I want to be in that situation. Yeah. And then as someone that's just, you know, some of these Reddit commenters are probably never going to compete, but they're highly interested in coffee and are just yeah. debating about the efficacy of this competition. That's one thing. There, any competition you have, you're always going to be, we're talking about coffee, something that you taste. Every person's taste is different. You can calibrate as much as possible, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be perfect. No. So there's always going to be something that you can factor in. But on the other side, if you're a competitor and you're just saying, I just don't have these resources, you're like, I can say as a coffee roaster, if I am a trained barista, if I've competed before, if you really want to compete at a high level, there's a roaster out there that if you say, hey, mm-hmm. can I work with you or can I? If I use your coffee, can I have access to yep. your equipment? Can I have access to your resources? Would you be willing to source a coffee specifically for this event? Obviously, you would need some experience. If you're just yep. walking off the street and saying this, there's probably still a roaster or two that would say, yes, let's do this. Yeah. But if you've got the experience, and that's where I look at this and say it's kind of bogus to... To, to chop Ooh. chop Morgan down winning because because of her existing resume it's it's not just the social media presence to, I, I to, think it's possible. to my previous point like they, they, these these are competitors right coffee competitors not just baristas and and like in any sport having talent or a skill in that thing isn't enough to be the best right to be the absolute best having a talent and a skill is not enough you need to have all the other things that a person needs to have the drive and the discipline i was pretty good at a lot of stuff when i was in school what i definitely didn't have was discipline right self-discipline yeah. be able to get up at 5 a.m and do all the work that needed to be done before i went into school in the morning right to really excel in a sport even though maybe i had the skill to be able to do it and a lot of these baristas that's what they have like the best people that's what they have but what they also have is the drive to be the best. And to do that, sometimes you have to make sacrifices. And sometimes that means moving, right? Sometimes that means, I'm not suggesting everyone has to do this, but I'm saying like, sometimes that means switching jobs, switching companies that you work for. If the company that you work for is not interested in coffee competition, and you really feel that coffee competition is something you want to get involved in, I'm not saying you should definitely ditch that company, but I am suggesting there are options out there for you that if you were to go and 
speak to a, another coffee roaster that is interested in it, they may well support you. Or you might be able to get a job as a barista in one of these coffee uh, companies that are really embracing competition. And then to flip that on its head, if you're a coffee roaster and you think competition's not that great, it's not for you, and then you're also struggling to attract baristas or high-caliber baristas, maybe if you got involved in competition, you would be able to attract those high-caliber baristas who are want to get involved in competition. It's a two-way street. And to on that point, I've, I've heard actually like conflicting kind of opinions uh, of companies wanting to hire someone that's solely interested in competing because someone who's interested in competing, that's going to be their pure focus. And some companies might be like, yes, you can work for us as a barista. We'll support you in this competition, but like your barista is the job first. The intense focus it requires to train for this and the actual skills and things needed to be able to be a great barista the best baristas, in my opinion, are the ones that give you a great experience from when you walk in the door. Yeah. Obviously, you want great coffee, but like if that barista is half tired from training the night before, <laughs> is like frustrated with how training is going, if all these, it, it can hinder. So it's like you do need to find a unique situation, but I'm not saying you can wake up tomorrow and say, I want to win U.S. Nationals next year. I'm going to go to a roaster and find it. It takes years of preparation Mm -hmm. outside of just the preparation for the competition to be able to put yourself in a position where somebody might consider this offer. And it's like, I mean, uh, what you said is exactly applicable to business. That, yes, sometimes there's a crazy, smart, innovative person that creates a new product that is so revolutionary that they succeed despite themselves. But most small businesses, especially within food and beverage, it's exactly what you said. It's just the work it takes day in and Mm -hmm. day out. And if you find yourself in a situation that you say, I need to move, I need to be in a new location, I need to change what I'm doing, that's the work it takes. And I think it applies directly to competition. There's a level of sacrifice, right? There's a level of sacrifice in every top competitor in any situation or in top business. There's a level of sacrifice that's that's required to be the very best. And my general take on I have a very... This is admittedly one of my probably uh, blind spots here, but I have a low threshold for complaining, <laughs> like absurd, absurdly low. Like I'm the person that if you just want to vent, I'm not, I'm not the person to come to because my immediate reaction is let's find a solution. Let's find yeah. a way to work through this. How can we fix your situation? Or if it's just, like the best one is like, I hate my job, quit, find a new job. Well, I, you know, I, or yeah, there's lots of, it's a very complex issue, but the, my immediate reaction is like, let's figure it out. But yeah. Like the threshold for complaining is very low. And so when I see people complaining about someone winning, my gut reaction is I go, well, that doesn't sound like something that Morgan did wrong. It Mm -hmm. sounds like it brought something up in you that makes you uncomfortable and gives you a feeling that makes you want to figure out what was wrong as to why you're not winning or you're not in this situation. Well, I think there's a there's a general gut reaction to the term influencer. I think it's maybe calming down a a little bit, but I think if you, if you, ever refer to yourself as an influencer you realize that you're putting your your head up there to be shot at and i think i don't think morgan necessarily calls themselves an influencer i don't know but they are an undeniably so and so they're always going to have their level of quote-unquote haters who are going to yeah. going to hate upon them and whatever they do and that is also if they become the united states barista champion yeah. they're going to hate upon that somehow I, th- I think the reason it's like bubbling up more than any other year is that one more layer of addition that the person who won, regardless of who it is, is social media famous. Yep. Whereas in years past, 
Onyx has been winning for years. Guess what the winners have had every year that they've won? They've had the resources and the dedication yep. of the training staff at Onyx to be able to do that. Guess who it was before that? Who I referenced earlier? Intelligentsia. Intelligentsia. They were the ones putting the resources and effort to be able to do it. How do you think Intelligentsia had a big part of building their brand up as mm -hmm. a, a nationally recognized audience? And exactly what you said, that there's so many layers to going to competition in competing that it's all these non-ROI things. A lot of business people like to go, I only spend money on things. I like ROI. ROI. And this is one of those soft ROI things. Yep. And it's a very slow build. You're not going to go out one year, place high at a competition, and all of a sudden, boom, you're quadrupling your sales. Everyone knows who you are, no. and you're the next Onyx. But I will say, from Jeff placing top 15 in the country, it may not have dramatically increased our sales, but to be able to say our head roaster is a top 15 coffee taster in the country... Yep. When I'm emailing someone, mm -hmm. when I'm saying, hey, do you want to taste our coffee? By the way, mm -hmm. we just got back. Jeff is top 15 coffee taster. In the co they're like, wait, what? And then also, yep. well, first they're like, coffee tasting competition? <laughs> and you're like, it's a real thing. It's very competitive. It's very difficult to win. He's top 15 in the car. But like, that's an example of just one time going out competing, Jeff placing 14th. It had a real effect on our business. Yep. And that I think that's a really good point to bring up. If nothing else, it gives you the confidence, right? Like you, you can't speak for what it would be if Jeff hadn't placed 14th, yeah. right? You don't know what that life would be like. But what you do know is, is you and Jeff at this moment in time are part of a company where Jeff did place 14th and you have the confidence to be able to speak to that truly. My company has the confidence to be able to speak to their trainers being the finals judge for the United States Brewster Championship. I mean, that gives a level of legitimacy to the job that the company and myself are doing. And isn't that such a funny thing that you could walk into a place that didn't know there was any sort of coffee competition happening Tell them, you're a national barista competition judge. Jeff is a nationally ranked coffee taster. They didn't know about it the 10 seconds previous to me talking about it, but then the second you bring it up, they go, oh, they must be good. <laughs> I mean, we were joking about when I did the Midwest coffee tasters, which, Love it. by the way, fully legitimate competition. The people involved were that should not have been held. You don't know how close I was to bringing my trophy with me. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, the, it's just part of being in Minnesota is we have a crazy concentration of coffee professionals that are known, recognized on a national level. And so this competition, I was like, this is wild. Who's helping me put this together? But you place first in that. And I go like, but that's legitimate. It's a, it was a fully legitimate yep. competition outside of the fact that we had a, po yep. a, a punk band playing music while you're tasting. But that was true for everybody. So it's just another added layer factor that you go like, but that's why competition is good. Yeah. It really, truly rises all boats because now that, sure, if you tell it to someone in coffee, you're like Midwest Coffee Taster Championship, they go, I've never heard of it. Well, it's a one-time thing that got shut down by well, COVID. I, I, I genuinely tell people that because I'm, yeah. prou I'm proud of it. Like, genuinely, I'm proud of it. It was unexpected, number one. I wasn't expecting to, 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 to even place. I'd never taken part in a coffee competition. Um, at that point, I judged them, so I was aware of cup tasting, but I'd never done it before. But I was proud of it because... Because I think Jeff competed, and there yeah. were other, and I knew how good I know how good he is, yeah. and there were people from other roasters around around who I respected massively, and it's not about beating them like haha I beat you, but just about measuring myself right because yeah. I I know how to taste coffee, and I knew that I knew how to taste coffee, but there's you never know entirely for sure until you get some kind of confirmation right, and something like that at least I can taste coffee on a level with these people yeah. who I'm looking around going, heck, these people are Q graders who taste coffee every single day. I 
don't. I, yeah. I do taste coffee every single day, but not on the same level of cupping like 15 different coffees, right? I just, I do tastings with potential customers in sales. Um, so to be able to have that confidence, again, going back to confidence, to be able to take that with me, and that's real, that's legitimate. And yeah. that was competition that provided that for me. It, ga- it gave me um, a yardstick to measure myself with my fellow professionals, and I grew as a result of that. Thank you for that competition. We should do it again. I know. We, we really need, need to. to do that again. Really what happened is uh, Folly's still just me and Jeff. <laughs> when we were a much smaller business, I had a lot more time. Yeah. And I could get really weird with how I spent that free time because I don't like to have free time. So when I did, I'd be like... I'm going to host an entire competition. We're going to put this together at a brewery with a punk band playing while we're tasting. Uh, but I, I think that's just a good, great way to sum all of this yeah. up. Is like The irony of this is, is that now the exposure gained through this whole... Again, I think you said it correctly. It's not really a controversy. It's just uh, it's like an uh, examination of what yeah. this really is that you go, it's good for it. We want these conversations happening. Mm-hmm. We want these conversations happening focused around coffee. We're bringing it to a, a broader audience, and it's going to be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I think anybody to anybody that might be hypercritical of something, observe those gut feelings, ask yourself, why am I feeling them? And then maybe think back to, hey, I'm looking at one moment in time that happened at the championship this year. All these people involved, where were they before this? What were they doing to get to the point to potentially be in this position? And so to look at something like resources and say, well, they had all the resources. Why do they have the resources? They took the risk early on as a business to gain those resources, Mm -hmm. and they continue to focus on it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the social media presence, why do they have that social media presence? Well, someone didn't just drop a million followers on Morgan and say, go ahead. Like They built it over a long period of time. And sure. It's a complex issue, but I think with complex issues, it's best to always recognize that there's gray area in everything. Yeah. Nothing is ever really black and white. And to look at all the things in between and say, let's make it better. Let's admit that th- things can always be better from <laughs> in a competition, and let's continue to look at those, but also recognize that it can never be perfect. So it's yeah. like... The better something gets, the smaller point you have to focus on, and you have to place more focus on that. And I think that's the point we're at, where it's getting to the, the level that, like, well, they had better coffee. And you're like, yeah. Well, yeah, if you were in the competition, you'd probably want better coffee, too. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll just say one very last point. If we did it just because we enjoyed it, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right, like good. We all enjoy it, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's been a crappy couple of years. Let's enjoy what we're doing, and we all enjoy competition. And that's a great point about the competition as a whole. Why is the competition such a big deal? I can guarantee you the first year they did it, no no one was gaining major credibility out of it. It's exactly like the Midwest Coffee Tasters yep. Championship. No one's going to start a subreddit about the winner of that one because it's a yep. thing we made up, yep. but everything's made up, including that competition. <laughs> so everything's made up, and it gets better over time. But there's a reason this competition is such a big deal. It's because it was started by people that were doing it for the sake of purely doing it, and then it changes over time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a fast hour 14 right there. Oh, geez. Well. Um, yeah, I think we got over everything I really wanted to talk about. Maybe a little bit more on the eugenic eugenides. Eugen, what you, what you eugen, said? Eugen, uh, I kind of I grade over it a little bit. You want to know why? It's because so two years or three years ago, uh, Onyx had it and Archetype had it and a couple of other roses had it as well. Um, and then Onyx purchased all of it, ah. every single bit of it, and no one can get it. Sam at SK has been trying to get it. 
he's been reaching out to everyone trying to get some green and they can't get it onyx has it all um <laughs> and i didn't i was like i'm not sure i want to bring that up because like it could be incorrect but that is what i'm led to believe by very reliable sources you can hate on that but that's kind of a baller move <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> and that's where resources are awesome where you're like oh man to be able to look in like oh this coffee is doing really well at competition you say it's rare how rare we could buy all all, all of it you say We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> Anyone else want it? You can't have it. Well, I'd honestly, my gut reaction to that is like, that's that's a baller move, and I'm not even mad at it. Like but the reason you're able to do that is because all the things we just listed. Indeed. Hey, man, good to have you in oh, again. Man, that was awesome. It's always a pleasure. It was awesome. I'll end it like every other episode and say have a nice day.